Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. So we are in a, a, a three-part series this summer, um, Identity, Intimacy, and Destiny. And we just finished up uh, Dennis killed the sermon last week. If you haven't heard last week's message, please go online and listen to Dennis's message. It's the last, last uh, message on intimacy. It was incredible. It, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll, you know, it, it's just amazing. So um, please, you know, kind of do that if you haven't. But this morning, I'm going to be leading us into the, the, the final phase, the, the, you know, the third part of the series, and it's, it's about our destiny. And it's, it's basically uh, the title of the sermon, uh, sermon, Destiny Part 1, Living the Impossible. You've already heard a sermon on that from Wes. Well, I'm, this is, you know, second sermon. So uh, here we go. You know, Jesus lived out his life on earth in obedience to his Father. And, uh, you know, you, you remember he was baptized, and that's when the Father spoke and said, This is my Son, with whom I'm well pleased, uh, in whom my soul delights. Uh, and then he's baptized, and immediately it says the Spirit drives him into the wilderness, and he's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And, uh, and, and then he begins his ministry to do the impossible. His ministry was impossible. And, uh, you know, he, he came here to reveal who the Father is. He came here to show us what human beings are supposed to look like. And then he came here to redeem the human race. And he did that in three years. That's impossible. I have a question for you this morning. Do you believe that God has called you as an individual to live the impossible? Or is it just for the big boys in the scriptures? Like David and Joseph and Moses and you know Gideon and, and, and all our heroes. Is it just for those folks or has he called you to do the impossible? And if so, what is it that he's calling you to right now? What is he asking you to do right now that is bigger than you are? You see, guys, I really believe that American Christianity, American churchianity as I call it, is pretty much uh, tailored to our strengths and our gifts and our abilities and our comfort zone. And so we just live a life, a very, a very easy life of comfort. And, and I don't want to lay a guilt tip on us this morning. I really don't because this church is different. I'm going to talk about how different we, this church is, in my opinion, from most American churches in a good way. But I think Americans like to be comfortable we like to be in control. We never want to step across the chicken line, as I call it. And, you know, some people are like, what do you mean by the chicken line? It's like, you know, it's like I dare you to step across this line and do this. Because the chicken line, it's on the other side of the chicken line is where life is. It's where excitement is. It's where joy is. It's where, it's where um, uh, you know, life in the kingdom is. It's where change happens. It's where the kingdom of God is advanced across the chicken line. 
we went to pick him up, Lindsay and I went to pick up a, a, a table. We bought a, a new kitchen, well, it's not new, it's new to us, kitchen table on Facebook Marketplace and, uh, and some chairs. <laughs> and we went all the way to Cincinnati yesterday and uh, we picked up the table and the chairs and uh, we went to Ikea and we're on our way home. We get all the way back to 675, you know, 40 minutes north of, of Cincinnati and Lindsay gets a, a message from the, the seller, hey, you forgot the, ta- the table legs. <laughs> so we had to drive all the way back to get the table legs. I mean, it was like an all-day thing. But, um, but on the way, Lindsay said, I feel like I'm supposed to, God has a word, a, a, some kind of word for the guy that sold us his table. And she's like, would you help me pray and get a word for this guy that, that, that sold the table to us? And uh, I said, she kept asking me, you getting a word yet? You got a word yet? I'm like... Lindsay, if I'm trying to stay awake. If I start thinking too much about a word, I'm going to fall asleep at the wheel because that's how I fall asleep at night, trying to hear the Lord's voice. And I go, you know. And uh, so I said, I can't do this right now. I said, are you getting anything? She's like, yes, I got something. So she wrote it out, and, and, um, and she's really nervous about this because she didn't know this guy from Adam. But she sent, as we, she waited till we left, that's okay, and then she, she, she messaged him the word that she had gotten. I mean, that's, that's, she, that, yeah, that's life on the other side of the chicken line. That's where the kingdom is advanced. That's where things happen. I was really proud of her. I didn't even intend to share that story, but I just was thinking about that. But, you know, guys, God has big plans for us, for you individually, for us as a church. And, and um, you know, I can't wait to see what God has for us. But he calls us to one thing at a time. He doesn't give us the big picture all the time. You know, I knew that at some point when I was like in late high school, early college, that I was called into ministry, but I have no idea what that looked like, but I just took one step at a time, and, and, and you know, things work out when, when we do that, but what is God calling you to do right now that you know is impossible? What's your Goliath, as Wes talked about? You're David. You have no armor. You tried it on. It didn't fit. You got a slingshot and a rock. That's all you got. This dude has, not only is it, did you know that Goliath also had an armor bearer that was standing in front of him holding the shield? You couldn't see the dude because he was so short because he was standing behind Goliath's shield. But Goliath had a spear and a javelin, and so somebody else had to hold his, his, his uh, you know, I mean, his, his spear, yeah, so he had to hold his shield. So there was actually two people David was going up against. And this dude was fully armed, as, as Wes said. I mean, Goliath, they describe his armor and everything he had. And David had a slingshot and a rock. And God put that rock right there in Goliath's forehead. Here is the one point of my message this morning. God is calling you and he's calling me to do what you cannot do with what you do not have for the rest of your life. I want to say that again, okay? God is calling you and calling me to do what we cannot do with what we do not have for the rest of our lives. It's awesome. What is it that God's calling you to do? Is he asking you to take a next step in your job? Is he calling you to leave a job and go to another job? Is he calling you to start a small group? Is he smart, st- calling you to homeschool your children? 
That's a big deal. Is he calling you to, to um, the mission field? And, and you're like, I, I don't have any money. I don't have any way to get there. I don't, I don't even know who. You know. Is God calling you to something that you can't do? Because if, he's, if you're not being called to something you can't do, you're not listening. I, I promise. If God is not calling you to something bigger than you're able to, to pull off in your own strength, then you're not really listening to the Lord. Because that's what he does. He calls us to do what we cannot do with what we do not have. And he calls us to do that every day for the rest of our lives. That's our destiny in a nutshell. That's your destiny. That's my destiny. That's the destiny of this church. So are you doing what God's called you to do without the resources and and without the adequacy and without the strength to do it? When Jesus began his public ministry, he called 12 men to work with for three years to change the world. Now, if I were going to call 12 men to change the world, I would not pick four fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot, and who knows what the other dudes were doing. These were knuckleheads. They were. You guys make them look like, I mean, they make you look like geniuses. I mean, honestly. We got way more qualified people here than, than Jesus started out with, with his 12. For three years, he had three years to get these guys ready to change the world. And so he comes out of the desert after being tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he goes to his home synagogue, his home church where he grew up, and he walks in, he sits down, and someone pulls out the scroll of Isaiah. It's time to read the scripture for the morning. From, they read from Moses and the prophets, and so someone read something from Moses, the Pentateuch, and then they hand uh, Jesus the scroll of Isaiah, and he rolls to the part, part in what we call Isaiah 61, and he reads these words. The Spirit, they're on, it should be on the screen here because it's Luke 14, 18 through 19, but this is from Isaiah 61, opening verses of Isaiah 61. It's a messianic prophecy. The Spirit, Jesus reads this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant who puts it away, and says, everyone's staring at him, and he says, this morning, in your presence, this scripture has been fulfilled. I'm the anointed one, the one who has come to do this. And you know what they did? They tried to stone him to death for blasphemy at his home church. Yeah, he got a phone call just like that, had to leave, so they didn't get to, they didn't get to stone him. So, yeah, worked out for Jesus, too. Um, here's, the, here's the beautiful part, though. Here's the beautiful part. Five chapters later... Jesus calls the 12 to him. Look at this, Luke 9. He calls the 12 to him and says, when when Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them the power and authority to drive out all demons, all demons, cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. These guys hadn't been with Jesus very long at all when he calls them 
to do that. He, he was already handing off his ministry to his disciples. I love what happens next. So, so guys, I mean, think about this. These, these knuckleheads had been watching. You know, So from chapter 4 through chapter 8, Jesus is doing miracles. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's like, you guys paying attention? Are you awake? Are you taking notes? And he's just doing the stuff. He's just doing the stuff that Jesus did. He's fulfilling his ministry. And then, and then uh, his disciples, uh, he calls them together and said, now you guys are going to do the same thing. Give you authority. You go. You preach the gospel. You, you cast out demons. You heal the sick. And then when you're done, come back in a week or two. I, he, he gave them a timeline. They come back. Guys, these guys are beside themselves with excitement. It worked. Jesus, it worked. You should have seen those demons fleeing. You should have seen the eyes of the blind. But, you know, you should have seen. You should have, you should have seen. You should have seen. And they're just sharing with him. And they're so excited, but they're also exhausted. You know, there are, you know, ministries ebb and flow. You've got, there's seasons of fruit bearing and there's seasons of resting. And so in, I'm going to pick up the story, the same story. It's the same story, but the, I'm going to pick up in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. And so the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Don't you know they were thumping their chests? Those demons, you should have seen them, you know, screaming and flying and getting out of here. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Aren't you glad Jesus does that? I love the quiet place, guys. I don't spend enough time there. And we're, Jesus is talking. Every time I get with him, he talks to me about that. Won't you spend more time in a quiet place, Neil? I'm really busy, Jesus. Yeah, well... I get that, but you'd be way better off to spend more time with me because then you can go out and do more, you know? Anyway, come away with me uh, by yourselves or come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw the crowd, now listen to this, he was really ticked and was upset because he wasn't going to get to have quiet time with his disciples. Right? No. No, he had compassion on them. That's Jesus. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Love that. What are the disciples thinking about at this point? We were going to get some rest. We were going to get to talk about all the stuff we did. Now we've got to put up with all these people. Rita Nepper, this lady that used to be on staff at our church, said, you know, pastoring a church would be so much fun if it weren't for all these people. <laughs> so by, the time, by, by this time, it was late in the day, and his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, He's, and it's already very late. Send the people away. Send them away. Get them out of here so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I think they were way more concerned about their own quiet time than they were these people, but nonetheless, they brought a real problem to Jesus. Now, you also got to remember they hadn't eaten yet because it says that back here. They had not even had a chance to eat in verse 31. So they're hungry, the crowd's hungry, and everybody's hungry, and they're like, get rid of these folks so they can go eat, so we can eat, so we can rest and talk and tell you about all the great things we're doing. But he answered them, 
You have to do what you cannot do with what you do not have. You give them something to eat. What? You give them something to eat. What are you talking about, Jesus? I mean, look around. Do you see food? Do you see anything we could offer these people? Are you crazy? I'm sure, I mean, I, I don't think they said that to him, but I think the thought might have crossed at least Peter's mind. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they said to him, it would take more than a half a year's wages. You know, I mean, let's just talk about in our terms, you know, twenty-five dollars to $50,000, something like that in that neighborhood. And are we to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus said, what do you got? That's the NHV, Neil Haney version. How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, we have five pieces of bread and two sardines. That's what we got. And Jesus said, that's good. That's enough right there. That's, that's enough. And what happened? How many people were there? Well, it says 5,000, but that, they only counted the men back in those days. I don't know why. That was just the way they did it. 5,000 men. Do you think their wives were probably with them? Yep. Do you think their kids were probably with them? Yep. Probably between 20,000, 25,000 people got fed that day with two fish and five pieces of bread. But it was enough. It was David's rock. It was enough. Were, this is a trick question. Were the disciples able to do what Jesus told them to do? Were they able to do what Jesus told them to do? No. And yes. No. You can't feed 25,000 people with five pieces of bread and two fish. No. They weren't able to do that. Did they do it? Yeah. Why did they do it? How did they do it? Because Jesus was there. Jesus was there. When Jesus is there, you can do anything. The battle belongs to the Lord. That's what we've been saying. You and I need to live the same way. They had just come off of victory. They had just come off of seeing some great things happen in their ministry. And yet Jesus lays before them something they cannot do with resources they do not have, and they've got to do it right there in that moment. That's how we got to live, folks. That's our destiny. Guys, I don't want to be like the rest of American churchianity. I don't want to stay in my comfort zone. I, I don't want to stay in control. I don't want to do just what I'm able to do, and I don't want to bring to the table just what I'm able to bring, because if that's the case, we'll never do anything. The church will never do anything. You won't do anything. I won't do anything. We've got, to, we've got to be in this thing way over our heads because the battle belongs to the Lord. And he can do the impossible. I remember, by the way, I, I need to, honest confession, I, I, never, I didn't want to be a pastor. After I went to pastor school, I opted out. I don't know if you know that or not. I came to Springfield as a Clark County jail chaplain. And I love my job. First of all, I had a captive audience. I could talk to them when I wanted to. And if I didn't want to, I didn't talk to them. 
If I wanted to go visit an inmate, I went to see an inmate. If I didn't, I didn't you know, I could stay in my office and just twiddle my thumbs, play on my computer. I didn't do that, but, but I could have. But I, you know what I heard in seminary? I heard sheep bite. You guys follow me? I just heard one horror story after another about how churches in the system, I was in a particular denominational flavor and how churches in that denomination chewed up and spit out pastors on a regular basis. Heard all the horror stories from the professors and the students that were pastoring churches. And I'm like, if that's what pastoral ministry is like, no thank you. I don't really want that. I'll just go and be a chaplain. I'll just do ministry when I want to, how I want to. And no one, no one, I don't have to answer to any elders or pastor parish relations committee or you know any of this stuff. I can just do my own thing. That really felt comfortable to me. And then a week after I got to the jail, I was only supposed to be there one year, by the way. It was an internship. It turned into something. I could have stayed. The guy that was supposed to come back didn't, but I didn't know that at the time. And I met the pastor of this church, church within the first week I was there, a guy named Phil Shank. He preached in March. He's still my mentor, by the way, after all these years, 33 years later, 34 years later. He's still my mentor. But uh, Phil, uh, we had known each other for a couple months, and he told me he'd been looking for an associate pastor for two years and hadn't found anybody. And we had gotten really close in that two months, and he said, hey, why don't you pray about being our associate pastor? I'm like, okay. I made the mistake of praying. June 12th, 1988, I'm inducted into the uh, 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 Northridge Christian Fellowship pastoral team at that point. So I became associate pastor. But that was okay. The buck stopped with Phil. I could do my thing. I could, you know, I started the youth group and Lynette Reed and I started, we, we gave up on senior high. We could only get two kids together from senior high. So we started with about six middle schoolers. And boy, that was awesome. It was really fun. And so I, I became kind of a glorified youth pastor, and then, you know, I did some counseling and, you know, preached once a month or whatever, and I was really liking that because Phil had to deal with all the, you know, the stuff. And then he decided to up and leave me eight years later, and I did not want to be senior pastor, did not want to be senior pastor. Laverne Nisley, who he and his wife Rhonda, they live across the street, They're, they started Marriage Resource Center, and now it's called Encompass, but... He had, he had been a senior pastor of a church in Cincinnati. I said, you be the senior pastor, and I'll be your associate. He's like, I don't want to, Neil. He's like, I want to do marriage ministry. You do it. You, you be the senior pastor. And so here it is 25 years later. I'm, you know, last month I celebrated my 25th anniversary of senior pastor. But I'll tell you what. Three quarters of that time, I had no idea what I was doing. I can tell you that now. And about five or six years into this, you know, after Phil had left, he came home for a furlough and stopped by to see me, asked me how things were going. I said, you really want to know? He's like, yes, I really want to know. I said, I have no idea what I'm doing, and I don't know how to do that. And I feel weak and stupid and inadequate, and I have no idea how to lead this church, and I feel like they should just fire me and get somebody else. But don't tell them, because I need the paycheck. He said, so you're telling me you feel weak and inadequate and you don't feel up to the... I was like, yeah, that's, that's right, Phil. Can you just kind of keep that between us? He said, good. He said, that's exactly where I want you. I was like, what? 
He's like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear you say. The moment you think you got this thing, you're done. He said, just stay right there. In humility, just stay right there, weak and adequate. Just lean on the Lord, he said, because, and he was very generous in this statement. He said, Neil, in terms of pastoring this church, you only bring about 3% to the pastoral ministry. He has to supply the other 97. In reality, it's like 0.5, 99.5. He was being very gracious and generous to me. He, I, I just, you know, and, and I, I honestly looked at him like a deer in the headlights. I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, I don't know what I'm doing, and you're happy about that? That's just great. <laughs> you know, the next story in this, uh, in, in the gospel, right after this thing happens with the feeding of the 5,000, is Jesus tells them, get in a boat, go across the lake, I'm going up in the mountain and pray, and I'll see you on the other side. And, uh, or I'll join you later, is what he said, basically. So, um, Sea of Galilee is really an interesting body of water. All kinds of weird stuff happen on the Sea of Galilee. It's the way the land's laid out. It's the way the wind comes through. And a, a squall can come up in, in, in a matter of seconds. You know, it's a perfectly nice day, and you're out there in the middle of the lake, and all of a sudden, thunderstorm comes out of nowhere. Winds start blowing, waves start crashing, and uh, the disciples are, you know, it's middle of the night. They get to the middle of the lake in the Sea of Galilee. You can see across it, but it is like 100 times bigger than, than uh, the reservoir. And so they're out there in the middle of this thing at 3 in the morning, and they're just rowing to beat the band, and the wind and the waves are in their face, and they're making no progress. And Jesus is up in the mountains praying, up in the hills above, uh, above um, Capernaum, praying. And it says that he saw them <laughs> rowing. Now, he, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if it was just supernatural, you know, seeing like a prophetic kind of seeing, but he could tell that they weren't making any progress. And so he, he walks out, he walks out to them, and as soon as he got in the boat, the boat reached the other side. You know, I don't know how many times, so many times I can relate to that story. You, you, you're trying to, to do your job. You're trying to, sermon preparation, for example. Man, how many times have I awakened on, on Sunday morning, my eyes pop open, and, and as I'm trying to figure out what day it is, I suddenly realize it's Sunday, and I'm preaching, and I got nothing. And I, got a, I do have a, a knot in, the, in, in my stomach. That's what I do have. And a lump in my throat and an adrenaline rush because I know in two hours i got to say something intelligent to you people. And I got nothing. I got nothing. I, I, I don't know how many times that's happened through the years. You know, I've got to the point that, I mean, I had something this morning, but this is two fish and and five pieces of bread, folks. This is, you know, this ain't going to do any good at all unless Jesus shows up. I'm, I've learned that. You know, I just, I, this morning, we always pray, you know, before. I, I just, I said, okay, Lord, you know, they're praying for me. God, anoint them. And you've given them all this stuff. And, you know, I was like, yeah, Lord, here's my two fish and my five pieces of bread. See if you could do something with this. I, you know, I got nothing. I mean, I really, I mean, that's it.
Our church, you know, I, I had a nervous breakdown in 2012 because I was trying to, I was rowing against the current, and I'm trying to get across the lane, I'm just rowing, and you know, it's all up to me, and it's all up to my, you know, I, I didn't learn anything from what Phil said, and I'm still thinking this is up to me, and I just, I wore out, I, I became exhausted, I just crashed and burned in, in anxiety and depression in 2012, and then God taught me, it's not about you, Neil, I mean, he, it just an entire year of that, and, and somewhere in December, mid-December, the Lord got my attention and said, hey, remember what Phil said? It's true. <laughs> you, you got nothing. I got you, and I got the church, and I'm going to restore you. I thought I was done here. I didn't think that this church would ever bring me back after what I went through. I mean, this church got watched me melt down and then had, had no better sense than to bring me back. Thank God for elders that were just really naive. But anyway, uh, brought me back. But, but I've learned that this, the battle belongs to the Lord. This is the Lord's church. So in 2016, when we were dead in the water, I had a fellow pastor have, lunch, have breakfast with me and said, yeah, your church is dead. You'll be, you won't exist in five years. Well, that was five years ago. <laughs> we're still here somehow anyway. Um, but in 2016, you know, I, I kind of reached out for some help and uh, kind of reached out to Phil again. And, and he said, you know, I've been praying about your situation. And, and what you need is, is a young leader that will come in alongside you and, and minister with you. Someone that's really gifted and, and, and uh, uh, it would be good if they had an area of expertise like worship or youth ministry or whatever and, and, and work alongside you. And, and maybe, you know, bring some young people back or whatever. And he said, I just feel like that's what the Lord wants to do, what the Lord wants to do. And I'm like, okay, you know, I have no idea who that would be. But, uh, you know, Dennis isn't young enough, so it wouldn't be Dennis. But anyway, <laughs> he's an old guy. He's uh, 47. Yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah, you're welcome. I know you'll get me back next week. So, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the problem with this is that we preach every other week, so whatever I do to him, he's going to do to me next week. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, the church just continued to, you know, we're in the middle of the water rowing, nothing's happened, we're getting nowhere. And uh, Wes and Lily had been at a church uh, up north of here, not, not in Michigan, but, you know, somewhere up there close. And um, same state. But they, they had reached the point after two and a half years in their church that they were done. They felt like God was moving them somewhere else. And honestly, I thought that they were going to move to where Lindsay was in, at Diane and Happy's church in Central Illinois Vineyard. And it, it, it kind of looked that way for a while, but then it fell through. And, and so in, in, uh, this is now 2019, and um, it's kind of funny. I just heard the other other side of the story the other day, Wes was mowing the grass in early May in 2019, and it was late, and the sun was setting, and he said, the Lord said, Wes, you see the sun has just gone down below the horizon. That's the season you're at with this church. The sun is setting. You're, I'm about to bring you into a new season somewhere else. Well, uh, within a week or two, I'm mowing the grass really late in the evening, and I'm, I'm mowing, and I'm, I'm just thinking about Wes and Lily, and I just I want the best for them, and I'm praying for them, and I'm like, God, just, you know, please take them someplace that, you know, wherever you want them, wherever's best for them. And, and I just kind of like, sidebar, I really wish they could come and be with us, but, you know, I know that's, 
that's not going to happen. And the Lord's like, what do you mean? I said, well, that's impossible. He's like, what do you mean impossible? I said, well, I mean, we've been running a deficit forever, like years. Every year we we end the year, you know, in the in the red, and and uh, somehow we you know, we try we'd set a budget lower than the year before, and we still didn't meet that, and we we kept backing it up, and but every year we'd come in, you know, a, a thousand or two under budget, and then someone would give us a gift or something, and we'd pull us back up to even, but we couldn't afford another full time employee. And so I told the Lord, I said, he said, what do you mean impossible? I said, well, we can't afford him. He's like, well, you may not be able to. You may not be able to kill that giant, you know. You may not be able to feed 5,000 with two fish and five pieces of bread, but I certainly can. He didn't say all that, but he said, you know, I can do that. So my next question was, would you, do you want him to come back here? And he said, yeah, I do. He said, you've given him away like three or four different times. When he was born, when he went to YWAM, when he went to the church that he pastored up in, you know, uh, northern Ohio or central Ohio or whatever it was. He said, I'm giving him back to you. My next question was, well, can I tell him? (laughs) He said, yes. And then I told my wife and daughter and they said, no. (laughs) Do not tell him that. You leave them, you leave Wes and Lily alone, you let them hear the Lord's voice, but you don't tell them what God's saying. You know, I, I've, I've learned after a few years of marriage and parenting that you listen to the ladies in your, in your life, okay? Yeah. So, I had already texted Wes and told him I wanted to talk to him. After worship, this was like on Wednesday, I said, hey, do you have time after worship practice tomorrow night to talk? And Because uh, I knew he had like a 20-minute commute, and, and uh, he said, sure. So, <laughs> so I'm dreading this phone call. And so he calls me, and he's like, Dad. He's like, worship practice went late. I'm tired. Lily's already in bed. Could we talk maybe tomorrow or maybe over the weekend? I'm like, oh, whew, yes. Yes, we can. In fact, we don't even need to talk. Well, there was my first mistake. He's like, about what? I was like, nothing. It's really not important. We don't need to talk about anything. He's like, what is this that we're not talking about? And why can't, why don't you? I said, I can't talk about it. Oh, that was another mistake. He's like, why not? I said, because mom and Lindsay said not to. I'm toast at that point, man. He's like, now I gotta know. What are you talking about? Tell, just tell me. I said, Yeah, well, it's about something about maybe you and Lily coming back to work with me, or you know, you guys coming back and working with me at the church. He said, Are you saying that you're you think God may be calling me back to Vineyard Northridge to work with you? I said, Well, I mean, that that I was sort of yeah, I think I, something like that. He said, I'll be home in five minutes. If, Lily, if Lily's still awake, we're calling you back. Five minutes later, the phone rings. Deb's in bed. Lily, uh, Lindsay's in Illinois. They don't know what's happening, thank God. I was like, Wes, uh, he said, now tell me the whole story. Just start from the beginning. What did you hear? And, and so I told him what I just told you. And then there was this long pause and then a, a crack in his voice when he said, Dad, that's all I've ever wanted to do is come back to our church and work with you. 
And he said, I've never called another church our church, just your church. I was stunned. I, had, I just was stunned. Now, guys, we, had, we didn't have enough money to pay me, let alone him. But I went to the elders, and our wonderful, faith-filled, incredible elders said, okay, if you feel like that's what God told you, then we're going to pray, and we're going to come back in, in three weeks because we we're going to meet because of VBS, we were only going to meet three weeks later, not a month later. And if it seems right to the Holy Spirit and to us, we're going to call Wes. We'll figure the finances that God will provide. We came back three weeks later. We did the round robin. You know, okay, what did you hear from the Lord as you prayed? The first person said, what I heard is we can't afford not to bring him back. The second person said, I agree with that person. And we went around the room and everyone said yes. And we said, okay, God. The battle belongs to you. You're going to have to figure out how to pay this kid, this young man, who's now a 27-year-old father and husband. We finished, we only paid him four months. We finished 2019, $7,000 in the red. I mean, deficit. But before the middle of January, that deficit had been paid off, and we... In 2020, the year of the pandemic, during the summer of 2020, when churches were closing, I mean permanently, and other churches weren't able to meet, we opened in May and we grew by about 20% and our giving went up. The first time in the history of the church that I remember, since I've been here 33 years, first time I remember attendance going up and giving going up in the summer. That just doesn't happen. We finished the year $7,000 in the black. <laughs> After paying Wes full salary for an entire year. Right now, we're approaching $10,000 above budget. So, I'm going to ask you this. What is Jesus calling you to do that you can't do. We, uh, the, the author that I got some of this information from, a guy named Bill Lawrence, wrote this wonderful little book called Developing the Leader's Heart. Um, he calls it the wall of inadequacy. When, we, when God's calling us to do something and we hit the wall and we know we can't get through that wall. It's the wall of inadequacy. What's your wall of inadequacy? What is God calling you to do that you can't do unless he breaks through? What is it? Jesus is calling you to do what you cannot do with what you do not have for the rest of your life. That's how we're going to live, guys. That's our destiny, to live that way and to watch God do amazing things. Wes mentioned Bethel. I'll just say this and then I'm going to close. Bethel Church is located in in uh, Redding, California, a, a town of about 100,000, not including all the students that come in from internationally to Bethel every year to go through their school of the supernatural. Bethel Church, over the last couple of decades, has bought fire trucks and police cruisers. When the, the city had to lay off the three or four police officers, they went to the, the police chief and said, how much will it cost to reinstate these guys they told them X number of thousand dollars. They said, good, reinstate them. We'll pay their salaries. 
Their, their convention center went belly up. Bethel bought this convention center. The townspeople thought they were buying it for their church. They bought it. They gave it back to the city and then ran it for them and did a better job than they had done for themselves. When the mayor had a town meeting about three years ago and listed the ten best things about Redding, California, Bethel Church was the very first thing he listed. That's the kind of church I want us to be. That's impossible. We can't buy our fire trucks and, and, and pay salaries. and we, Not right now. But if God's calling us to do that, then we'll do it. I believe that God's causing, calling us to reach Northridge and impact Springfield the way that, that Bethel has impacted, impacted Reading. I really believe that with all my heart. But what is he calling you to do right now? Jesus wants to give us bigger dreams and bigger assignments than we can ever possibly accomplish, individually and corporately. Now, here's what I want you to do. This is the takeaway this morning. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and awesome things that you do not know. Guys, it, it starts with intimacy. We told you that last week. You've got to get to the quiet place and hear God's voice and say, God, what? What Goliath do you want me to slay? What are you calling me to right now that I need to have faith in you for that I can't do, that I don't have the resources, the strength, my, it's my wall of inadequacy, but I know that you're, you're calling me to do something. What do you want me to do? Ask him in the secret place. Lord, what impossible thing are you asking me to do right now? Write it down. Write down what he says. It's impossible, but that's just what Jesus wants to do through you and through us. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.